was kind of neat. What a, it's a crepe shop. How long have you guys been open? And we look at our clock and it's like, oh, 18 minutes. But then that night, it was all of our college friends that had kind of like trickled out into the community there. And it was a shit show. It was chaos. We broke like four or five different things and it was a line out the door. It was like a party in there. We ran out of water glasses. We broke our whole water station. People were getting on tables. I remember uh, Don't Stop Believing came on <laughs> yeah. and we were playing as loud as we could, but the whole restaurant was just screaming the full song. It was super cool. Yeah. And I was just looking around like, wow, look at what we've done. Yeah. This is neat. Leo here, your host of the Building Bellion podcast. And thanks for stopping by the studio. Pour a glass of whiskey or local beer, take a sip, kick those feet up. We're gonna dive into what it means to be a business owner, what it means to be a member of this Bellingham and Whatcom County community, and what it means to find peace and balance while running a badass, high-octane, local, iconic business. Let's jump in. Bailey, thank you for joining us. And uh, you and I have known each other for quite a while, uh, first through school and then gotten to know each other through real estate and then also now through, you know, watching your businesses grow. You're an entrepreneur through and through. And I know that word is thrown around so lightly. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. It sounds exciting. What is an entrepreneur? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it could be many things, and I'm usually pretty hesitant to call myself an entrepreneur. I mean, I've only done a few things, yeah, but I, I would say layman's terms, you know, an entrepreneur would be a hustler, someone who is willing to do whatever it takes to get whatever is needed done. On the restaurant side of things, which is you know, my industry, willing to do the dishes, scrub the toilets, clean the floor, but also do the paperwork and the taxes and bill people that is needed or payroll and literally everything from being the janitor to being the owner. The glue in all areas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, you know, I see an entrepreneur seeing opportunity where others don't. They take chances that others aren't willing to. And to a degree, I think, you know, I've certainly taken chances, but I really admire a lot of other people that I see taking chances. And I suppose I use that as inspiration for what I am doing, but also what I want to do. So I'm very honored if people refer to me as an entrepreneur, and I think plenty have, but I'm always, I guess, striving to be more of one. We can call it entrepreneur. That's the, the word. Entrepreneur. <laughs> that's yes. the, that's yeah. the word that I've con yeah. consistently called myself. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. You and I crossed paths at Western, and this is pre or like maybe the idea was rolling about AB Craves. I think we were working on it you're when you and I first met because it was in the comm department. We were were we in the same class? I know we shared a class. Or it was two, a class. But... Yeah. I think it was that environment. Could have it could have been the environmental or the, the advanced public speaking. It was one in of those one two. Of those, yeah. 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 And I was honestly the most engaged in any class in, in, in that department, but certainly, yeah, you and I started chatting and I, I'm sure we bumped into each other at like a party in, yeah. in college. And then all of a sudden I said, how are you doing, man? I, I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but then you said, Oh yeah, we're opening up a, a restaurant. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what does that mean? I had no idea. We didn't, we made a, an effort not to tell anybody about it. We had been watching a lot of inspirational YouTube videos. And one of the big things that we've, that we learned at the time thought, I guess, maybe not learned was that if you told everybody your goals, then you would get the same chemical reaction as if you actually achieved your goals. So we didn't tell anybody until we signed the lease. And then we told everyone. So once the lease was signed, we, it, became a reality and a terrifying one and tried to get the word out there as quickly as possible. And I think at that point, I had no idea what I was getting into. And so there was this really like naive positivity, this optimism mm. surrounding it. Pride, pride, so that's probably pride. a good thing. Yeah, it was great. You know, it, knowing what I know now, if I were to go through the same process and endure what we endured for as many years as we did, I don't know if I would do that again. It was exhausting. But I mean, I was 21 when AB Crepes first opened. 
And I think I needed that youthful exuberance, that, that energy to make things happen and do what needed to be done. You had probably signed a residential lease. So like you had gone through the process of triple N. No, when you were like oh, looking oh, oh, like rent a house. Yeah, so this is like yeah. your experience with rent with a lease. Right. And then you go, okay, well we need a space for the business. And you probably, did you know what triple net was? No way. No, I, 80 crepes is, uh, it's a wonderful combination of ambition, determination, but also just like luck and circumstance. I've always described it as all of our ducks got in a row. And when it comes specifically to the lease and that kind of thing, our building's owned by a private landlord, Joe Guthrie, and she's fantastic. You know, not very corporate. She w didn't want lawyers to be involved, just us. And she also held the space for us for 10 months while we developed a concept and saved up some money. She pushed away other offers of people who were interested in the space because she wanted to give Alberto and I a chance. And in that 10 month period, we learned a whole lot. We kind of refined some of the details of what we were doing, but also learned in the lease. Um, but she was a pretty hard person to ne negotiate with. She knew what she wanted. Her father started Frank's place, which was in the same mm -hmm. space and it was a pawn shop. And so I don't know if you ever go to pawn shops, but they're masterful negotiators oh, yeah. and they're yeah. pretty, pretty firm. Yeah. So we didn't really get a lot of wiggle room, but she was very friendly and yeah. uh, gave us every opportunity. There was no way, you know, if we were trying to lease from any of these other commercial companies that they would have given us the time of day. How did you find the space? I mean, I don't know what other people did in college, but I liked to wander a lot. We were, I think I just turned 21. And so we were out of the bars and just walking around downtown at night probably like midnight, one o'clock. And we were coincidentally looking for a spot to live. And so being really interested in the bar scene and all that, uh, my friend Alberto and I were joking about how fun it would be to live in that space. From there, I had gone on other road trips and gone up to Vancouver and experienced what a creperie was like and how it could interact with the community. And then the ducks getting in a row, it was just kind of like, quick. Yeah. it made sense in my head, like, oh my gosh, that place would make a perfect crepe shop. You know, you move the kitchen all the way up in the front. You put in a service window there so you can interact and have this unique relationship with the customer. I think Bellingham would be really open to it. And it would bring this different element of energy and fun just to downtown, to the restaurant scene. And it being open late, being someone who'd like to stay up late, go out, I saw. That was a very tactful way of saying you like to go to the bars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Hey. Right. Yeah. But at the time, there was only a few options. I think it was like the taco truck that was right next to El Capitan's there yep. on the railroad. And then there was Palmini's. I'm probably missing one. There was one other concept that I don't remember. Oh, uh, there was Pita Pit. Oh, but Pita Pit. But we're talking like it's which like, was popular back yeah. then. You know. Oh, I like to make the joke that we have the the largest regular following of people who don't know that they're regulars. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. So you're analyzing this scene, and I, we're going to make a parallel once we get to the other side. You don't know what you don't know going into it. You're learning so much in this first ten months. Joe gives you this opportunity to like she wants to create a space for you because it's a you're a local business and you're these two younger guys that have a, a vision and she think maybe thinks it can add value as a tenant, right? So you're analyzing competition or did you just go, we don't even see the competition. We, we actually analyzed Pita Pit. Yeah. That was our example because they had all of their finances and information online. And so we looked that up and based off of their numbers, we did our low end projections based off of their bottom numbers on their high low range and kind of broke down the, the cost of food in goods and whatnot uh, for our concept. And yeah, a lot of naivety going into that as well. But we thought, ah, how could we fail? We could definitely make this work if we work most hours. And so we decided to pull the trigger on that. But Berto, he hadn't even tried a crepe when I brought up the idea of like, hey, we should open up a crepery because he had the restaurant experience and I just had the idea. 
What, what was his background in, in restaurant? Uh, his family, so he grew up in the Longview, Kelso area mm -hmm. down in Southwest uh, Washington. His background was restaurants. His dad owned a few and he grew up working in them and in a very casual sense. It was a family operation. And I didn't know that until we opened because he was a very casual person yeah. and didn't have like the refined skills that I would say AB Crepes is now. It took a lot of time to get to that point. Um, but that's kind of like live and you learn and you grow as time goes on. Right. Yeah. Right. Kind of wild that you can just businesses, especially corporate businesses, just offer their financials, right? Yeah. To a certain extent. Or, to a certain extent. Yeah. So how did you know that? How did you find that out? Berto was in the accounting program yeah. um, up at Western. And so he kind of already knew that. Um, and then just did a little bit of digging. Like side note for people that are analyzing if they want to come into a market. Yeah. You, there's a lot of public information. There's a lot of public information. Yeah. That. So the, the internet's a pretty resourceful place, it turns What's out. What's that? Yeah. yeah. It's for, I think it's going to be a big thing. Yeah. I, I've been just sending letters to people and hoping they come <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. Waiting back. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you're in college. So you have a ton of money just lying around, right? No. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, you didn't? Mm -mm. Oh, so you had no I, money? I, I would just... say for a college kid, I was doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first real job where working for someone else was commercial fishing in Alaska. And so I started that. I turned 16 and I think like the next week I went up to Kodiak and I did that through high school. I did that through college and I put money away every single year uh, and was able to live off of that. Then just fortunately my last season before the crepe shop opened was my best season. And so I was able to put away quite a bit of money just in that whole time frame. But then also we were able to take out small loans. Leverage, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Was the space already built out? Was it like, did it fit perfectly? It did was, you have to build? I mean, it used to be a, a pawn shop. And then yeah. I think for six months, it was a little retail clothes shop. Yeah. Uh, so it basically had nothing. And it was hurdle after that 10 month window. We were essentially just getting all, all of our permits in the row, kind of loading our cannonball, just ready to fire. So once we signed the lease, we'd be able to just start work the next day, do all of our demo and build everything out. Uh, and we had quotes on everything as well. It was just finding every single loophole that we possibly could. And I don't remember his last name, but there was a plans examiner or someone working with the city who, his name was Greg. So shout out to you, Greg, if you're listening. Uh, he has since retired, but just the most helpful individual. And I mean, he knew that we did not know shit. And so he walked us through what to do, what not to do, their own recommendations. And I mean, really just kind of pushed us along. And then, I mean, we weren't able to afford what we probably should have done with plumbing. And so Art Favinger was a huge resource as well. He helped us be creative and kind of avoiding having to cut through the concrete the whole way. And we have this pump, essentially, that a sump pump that pumps all of our water up. And that's our main drain. Or yeah. Okay. So you had a lot of help from, huge shout out to Greg. Yeah. Who was at the city. Um, but then you got financing. Did you end up getting an SBA loan or was it a, a private loan? What, what, how'd you, how'd you secure financing? We each took out private loans. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So individually, and then kind of comprise that together. Uh, but also, I mean, I mean, I look, I look at pictures back when we first opened, it was as bare bones as it could get in the food industry. If you buy a product from people, you can kind of leverage that to get certain types of equipment. And so we got our coffee brewing system. We got AirPods and we got a grinder all because we were buying the coffee grounds. And we tried to do that as much as possible just to save money everywhere. And I mean, the crate maker was $250 at a time. And so we had four of those and... I mean, it was a pretty inexpensive concept, but also the space looked like it was an inexpensive concept. I, our very first review 
Fortunately, it was a glowing review, but it did say the space looked like it was a college boys dorm room, yeah. which makes sense because Berto and I designed in it. college, yeah. Yeah, and Berto, he's a wonderful human in some ways, but man, his taste is questionable. He's and college he's bro. Like, we're going to make a drawing on this wall and we're going to put a little mural over over here. And so your business partners as, as friends, right? We uh, started out that way. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and obviously things have progressed and you're, you're now the sole owner of, of AB Crepes, correct. correct? Yeah. A lot of people go into business as just business partners and they don't have any pre-existing relationships. Some I definitely people, get that. Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. Tell me it's, about how, why you get that. It's essentially a marriage kind of, uh, but you know, we, were best friends going into that concept. And our priority number one was to remain best friends. And we did a pretty decent job of doing that, but work became, it became bigger than us at some point where it was a lot more challenging to maintain the friendship and the work. Berto and I were more intertwined than he and his wife or you know, me and my partner. And it was making these big decisions that have a lot of I guess, effect on what we do either as a business or financially, personally, if we're able to buy a home, all of that. It, it was challenging, but we both had a yes, yes mentality. And I think that's something that was really helpful in the beginning where if he had an idea, we were willing to give it a shot. And yeah. if it worked out, great. If it didn't, great. At least now we know that it doesn't work. And I mean, I think that willingness was part of what helped drive us because I mean, with our staff, our staff would have ideas. And so we'd give that a shot. We'd give literally anything a try. And then once we figured out that it didn't work, then we would say, okay, we're confident we can yeah. move on from that. So, okay. First review, all reviews are important. And, and like, I would say they're important to any business, small yeah. or large. And obviously large businesses get significantly more probably reviews, but you guys have a ton of reviews. Now we do. Yeah. And now <laughs> you surprised. do. I quit after... Yeah. Five years, I really stopped focusing on the reviews, but we're over a thousand on multiple platforms. I think, I think tw Tiffany quoted thirteen hundred on. Is it thirteen hundred on Google? It's a lot. Damn, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and Yelp is a really hard one to maintain because, it, but it's maybe easier in the restaurant industry because they're reviewing more just restaurants. Mm -hmm. But such an interesting world where your lifeblood people go online and they're like, "I'm looking for X, Y, or Z." What other what do other people say? Even if these other people suck, right? Right. What are these other people? I, I read so many other restaurants reviews, and some of them are hilarious because yeah. they're so dumb. Some are, oh and some God. are really bad, and and some are really good. Tell me about your the first review you got, your reaction, the first negative review, both. Let's hear about I, a good I, one and a bad one. I mean, the first review that wasn't I think at the time it was the Cascadia Weekly. Uh, that was the, the big one that we were all paying attention to. And they really enjoyed the garlic chicken pesto. They said it was amazing that our walls would be dirty and our floors would be worn. And what was neat is I remembered that line of the floors being worn. And I think like at the beginning of COVID, we closed the whole shop down except for the window. And so I, was, I changed the flooring and our flooring was so worn, just patches here and there. And you could see where people had walked and stood. And so it just made me think of that review. And I was like, oh, damn, they were right. That was cool. Uh, the bad review. I don't even remember this person's name, but they. It wasn't Greg. It was not Greg. Yeah. No, no. But they hated us. And I don't know why. Uh, her and her father came in and apparently had a horrible experience. But part of the review, most of the review was just inaccurate. They claimed that we, you were forced to give a tip that we didn't have vegetarian options, even though like four of our items were vegetarian friendly. Plus, I mean, if you asked us, we would add or subtract whatever you want. We would literally do anything to make the food that you want. And then that our staff was rude and it was on Yelp, so it's skinny, you know, but it was a long review, one star. And then they went and made 
other profiles and copy pasted the same review oh. to give us more one-star reviews. Wow. It was frustrating. And I mean, I think people who aren't in the restaurant industry or don't own restaurants, they they think that we can pay to hide certain reviews. You can't pay to hide anything on Yelp from the restaurants side. It's very favoring of the, the consumer side. And so we brought it up to Yelp like, hey, technically people are only allowed to have one review. They even say, this is the same review I've already written, copy pasted it. They didn't remove it. Fortunately, it didn't have that big of an effect. Yeah. Because, okay, so let's talk about, first, I want to hear about your reaction because it sounds like you looked at it and were like, oh, obviously frustrated. Like it hurts because you, you should, you're proud of something that you've created. It's rolling. You know, you have people that love and enjoy your brand, your food, you, right. the people, everything. And then you have one person that's incorrect that comes in and says horrible things and posted a bunch of times. Yeah. How, do you, how do you as a person, you know, outside of that go, is what it is. I, I take the perspective that I don't take anything personally. Everybody has their own context. And sometimes if they walk in having a bad day, I mean, they're going to see something differently than they normally would. And maybe a certain interaction will just rub them the wrong way and they'll continue down that negative tangent. So, I mean, in regards to this review or even a lot of other reviews, I corrected them about the parts that like, hey, you don't have to tip us. You can just hit no tip. There's a button there that says no tip. Um, or, you know, we offer these, these, these items for vegetarian options. And so I kind of try and correct where I can. I apologize for things that were within our control. And that's basically it. I, right. I hope they come back. If they don't, at the time, I was terrified because, yeah. oh, no, we lost a customer. We're going to go under. I was much more of the scattered one between Berto and I. Berto was just eternally optimistic. And I had never been in the restaurant industry, so I had no idea what that meant was terrifying. I've since mellowed out a whole lot. I embrace one-star reviews. It's kind of a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, or you just get the flagrant ones that are kind of silly. Yeah. So it's this balance of how can we make this the most specific and authentic while also realizing that we can't serve everybody Yeah. or not everybody will like what we have or the brand or whatever it is. Yeah. But you have enough of a following. You have enough growth you have enough things that people like that it doesn't really matter that much yeah i didn't know that at the time i was really trying to satisfy everybody make everyone happy even the people who have their own crepe experiences from this one time in paris 36 years ago and we needed to emulate that experience you can't do that people have their opinions and that's totally valid but it took me a while to just embrace who we are what we do and have confidence in our concept yeah. Okay. So let's talk about brand and marketing. So you're in the kitchen, you're hustling, you're, you know, hypersensitive to these reviews at this time. You have a business partner at this point. Is it just you two, or did you have any employees that, you know, that worked yeah, for we, you? we had, I think eight staff starting out. Yeah. Um, so how did, have you ever, ever hired somebody before? Not at that point. Yeah. No. So how did you, how we, did you pick people? We had a couple friends and then basically who just, anyone who had made a positive impression on us, we just said, you're hired. Yeah. Most people had open availability at the time. I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. There were some people who were duds, but we were there all the time. I mean, Berto and I split the hours 50-50 where in the first year and a half, he opened every single day until the midpoint. And then I closed every single day. And then he would do classes in the evening. I would do classes in the morning. We were there, there so much that we could enforce anything that needed to be enforced. But I think that was also mm -hmm. empowering where we're not this old owner manager. We're 21, 22 years old working with people who are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Uh, so they saw us working our ass off. And so that, I think that motivated them to work their ass off. We definitely made a lot of mistakes. Probably were understaffed 95% of the time, but it was 
it, it was necessary. I mean, we came real close to going under a couple times the first two summers. Um, well, three times. We had a fire in December our first year, which was an eye opener, and that was my first experience working with a large insurance claim, and uh, that was a whole curveball in and of itself. But it was kind of fortunate because it happened during dead week, and so we just said, "Fuck it, we're gonna not pay attention to this for a week, focus on finals." Uh, so we studied, did that, and then when the break actually happened, we went to like rebuilding the shop, and it took about a month to get it back. But get insurance if you ever, it's the smartest thing. That's insane, first of all. Second of all, that's amazing that you're able to just roll with it, especially you being, of the two of you, not being the, like, just go with the, like, you, obviously you're chill, but, like, not being the, like, super go with the flow business partner. You're yeah. like, nope, we're just going to, I'm going to block it out. Was it, it was probably in the back of your mind, though. Uh, like, <laughs> to a degree, but we both acknowledged that there was nothing that could be done about it. It, had, it already happened. Us stressing about it's not going to change it. And so we kind of just laughed and it happened at like three in the morning. So we got there like 4.30 or five and then made our calls, talked to whoever we needed to. And then by the time we were done with all that, Avenue Bread had just opened. So we went over there, had some coffee and like, oh, how's your day going? It's like, oh, good. It's going great. We just had a fire great. next door. You know, we're closed. We're going to be closed for a while. And we were just so calm and nonchalant and just maybe like a little sociopathic. I don't know. But we were still probably <laughs> processing everything. It's a lot to yeah, take in. Yeah. The, the cashier was like, what the? There's this part of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. A lot of people see the the surface. A lot of people see, they walk up, they order their crepe, they go, damn, that was good. And then you're like, hey, how's it going? You're friendly. You're like maybe you've worked the entire day. Maybe you've just picked up after classes and you're there the late night shift. My perception was like, that was a good experience. But you inside are like, I'm fucking exhausted. What does it look like below the surface? Are you just pedaling like crazy and then waving on like above the surface? What is it like? I, I can only speak for myself because I, I think it's different for every single person. In an ideal world, everyone who is an entrepreneur is doing it because they intrinsically love the work. They love what they do. I had a, just a, a deeply rooted belief that it was a good idea and I needed to make it succeed. And I, I genuinely enjoyed it. It was new, it was challenging. I was learning a lot every single day. And so that just fueled me. I was also so terrified that that kind of gave me a lot of energy as well. Like, so, the, like what would happen if it didn't work? But yeah, you knew so it was gonna totally, work, totally. but it, what would happen if but it like, didn't work? We would work until like three or four in the morning and then I'd have class at eight or nine. And so I'd just wake up and just keep going. And I had printed out 100% like and put it 15 different places wherever I interacted with life on my visor and my car. And just so I'd see that and be like, okay, I gotta keep giving hundred percent because everybody says keep 110, but that's like literally impossible. So just <laughs> doing, working as hard as you can at every single moment. That's just what at the time we really believed was necessary to succeed. But we didn't have wives, we didn't have kids, we didn't have dogs, we didn't have other things to take care of. It was just a selfish period in our life where we could devote all of our time and energy towards this one thing. We didn't really care about at the time about hanging out with friends. And so we just didn't have those worries or things to draw us away. So it wasn't the most challenging in that regard. Probably the best time for it. Yeah. But, you know, in time, you do, you do get tired and it's hard. And we were at our wit's end by the time that the fire happened because yeah. we were we foolishly we're going to school full time then and still working 80 or 90 hours a week. So we're pretty burnt out. And that was a learning lesson. So we went to part time after that and tried to get like 60 or 70 hours a week of work instead. Just um, just just take it back a little bit, maybe like part time 60. 70 yeah. Hours. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for Berto and I both he working really long days at work and me commercial fishing. I mean, like in those experiences, for me, at least it was you're working, but you're just living life. And yeah. at the time, life is work and work is life. And so you might as well enjoy it. Right. You, ha you have that choice. And so when I was at work, I just learned to become friends with the people I was working with and have a really fun time. And I'm still friends with 
a lot of those original group and honestly, a lot of the staff that I've worked with over the years. And that's what made it so special is the people I work with. And over time, I've learned that that's like one of my big motivating factors is how can I help the people I'm working with? I, you know, I see my customer as my staff or the people I work with, and then their customers are the actual customers. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get my reward now. It's not just as you know, creating a business. It's I'm learning about people. I'm figuring out what they need to succeed and everybody's different. So they all have different needs. And that part's tiring, but it's rewarding. In your brain, I'm going to take it back a step. Sure. You're talking sure. about like you had this just super clear vision that this was a good idea. There's a lot of people that probably were like, hell yeah, let's do this. Like you, I'm, I'm stoked for you. But then there's the other people, or maybe there's not that many people. There's a few people that are like, hell yeah, we support you in whatever you do. You do whatever you need to do. And then there's the other people that were like, this is a stupid idea. I would say all of our college friends were the ones who were very optimistic. Yeah, it's so exciting. You're going to open a restaurant because they also didn't know what it entailed. Yeah. They didn't know the risks associated with it. They didn't know what a triple net lease was. They didn't know the long list of downfalls that could happen. But I mean, we went to professors. My parents were supportive, but hesitant. Berto's parents were very supportive because that was their industry. Yeah. Uh, but we got a lot more negative feedback than we did positive. What was some negative feedback? We went and talked with one of the business professors who I don't even remember their name. We told him our idea and he said, oh, you're doing this with friends. You should not do this. This is, I give you six months tops and you'll be under. This is not going to work. It's a terrible idea. Um, You guys are going to end up presenting and hating each other. And thank God we heard that because it's one of those like, fuck the haters. And you just, it's fuel to the fire. Fuel you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was real motivation. And I think we coined the term, we didn't coin it, but we heard someone say dream killers. Yeah. And so we would just throw them in that whole pool of people and just say like, we're going to prove them wrong. Yeah. And I'm a fairly stubborn person. And so that was a lot of motivation for me. It's like, okay, I need to prove them wrong. We can do this. And you know, our first year anniversary came around and a lot of our friends and family started to come forward and say, I thought this was a terrible idea, but you made it a year. That's amazing. And then, you know, the third anniversary came around and then the fifth and now everyone seems to be almost the 10th too. We just had the 10th in April. Oh my God. 10th was just, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Which are 10 years. Cheers to 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, on 420, which was a coincidence. That was Mm -hmm. not planned, but everyone comes in that we have, I don't believe you customers on that day. Yeah. Well, we were trying to do Friday the 13th then, but then we just weren't ready. So we pushed yep. it back one more week and it was Friday. Uh, yeah, so 420 was the day and we didn't even do a grand opening. We just opened our doors and kind of just sat there. And some person walked in and said like, oh, wow, this is kind of neat. What is, it's a crepe shop. How long have you guys been open? And we look at our clock and it's like, oh, 18 minutes. Yeah. And <laughs> they had no clue. We did a terrible job of marketing in that sense. Yeah. But then that night, it was all of our college friends that had kind of like trickled out into the community there and it was a shit show it was chaos we broke like four or five different things and it was a line out the door it was like a party in there did you run out of stuff we ran out of water glasses we broke our whole water station people were getting on tables i remember uh, don't stop (laughs) believing came on and we were playing as loud as we could but the whole restaurant was just screaming the full song it was super cool and i was just looking around like wow look at what we've done this is neat so the days for the next six months or a year were slow painfully slow and then the evenings were chaos and then the nights definitely floated us it but it was just very party. convenient that you worked the evenings right yes yeah, yeah. it was wild for the six month anniversary we had a line out the door all the way down to past avenue bread and then for one year same thing it was just chaos it was very cool so you have a really like really excited loyal following like people that 
come to your shop. Yeah, I was just talking about this, I think yesterday, actually, where people are coming in now saying like, oh, yeah, we, you know, me and my wife, we met here, we had our first date here. Yeah. And then they're coming in with like seven year olds, yeah. these grown kids that are speaking to me like, how's it going? I've been wanting to see this. Like, Holy shit. Yeah. Mind blowing. Hey, Bailey, what's triple net? Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's mind blowing, yeah. but it's kind of neat. You know, it, time flies by in that sense. It's been a long 10 years, but at the same time, it seems like just yesterday. You just mentioned all these, like these checkpoints, like one, three, five, and now 10. At what point did it become like, it felt like it was a little bit more stable or a lot more stable. At what point were you like, okay, this is, this is working. I'm going to go to Kamano Island. Ah, uh, Nice segue. Yeah. Um, you like that? That was, that was natural. God, um, so good. Though. I would say I felt comfortable taking my foot off the gas at the five-year anniversary. Because, I mean, all the benchmarks were like, you know, a certain percentage makes it past the, the from one year. And then X amount makes it past three. And then, This was your college professor? Probably, saying, yeah. 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 Wah, and wah, then it's wah, like yeah. a ridiculous percentage don't make it to five years. Yeah. And once we hit five years, I'm like, okay, it seems like Bellingham likes us. Maybe one-star reviews don't mean as much. And so, I mean, before Camino Island happened... I just went traveling for a while. It Where'd was, you go? Uh, I went to South America. I went to Europe a couple of times and just kind of tried to enjoy life because I feel like I sacrificed five years of my life in order to establish something. And so I wanted to make up for that a little bit. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. So, but then I got a little bit more too addicted to that. And it was not until the Camino opportunity came up that I got back into the whole swing of things with work. Okay. So you're like, okay, checkpoint one, five years down the haters. I'm going to go travel for a bit and have life experience and just go out there and just enjoy myself. And then you had another idea. Was this also with Berto or is this by yourself? I wouldn't yourself? say that this was even our idea. We were approached by the people who owned a business complex down there. And they said that they liked the concept. They've been coming up for late night just to enjoy the atmosphere because it was busy and exuberant and youthful. And they told us about the space that they had and you know if we wanted a free coffee they'd love to show us around and talk about what they they think and Berto and i have a policy if people offer a free cup of coffee or something we're always going to say yes yeah and that, that to, wasn't a free cup of coffee though was it it ended up not being a very 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 expensive cup of coffee yeah uh but you know it's we'll, we'll hear anybody out uh, i went down there and toured the spot and this person just had at the time you know this very established business resume and silky smooth voice in the sense of like, you're going to be successful if you do it th like this. And this is, our Oh, they concept. were, so they were the, the opposite of your college professor. They had a silky oh, smooth. They, they lured us in. Yeah. Yeah. They said, if you do this type of concept and incorporate your crepe concept into it, you are going to just thrive. You're going to have a hundred stores in X amount of time. And wow. you know, like, Oh wow. That'd be so cool to be that successful. And so we signed a lease and in the same sense, as Joe, our first landlord, this person was quite helpful and they promised to like coach us and mentor us along the way. And they had, you know, that resume that were like, wow, they're going to be able to mentor us for years and this is going to be great. And then we got to the point of opening the, the concept. Was, it was hodgepodge. It was three different micro food concepts within one roof. And it was the creperie. It was a taco shop and burrito shop. And then it was also a fish and chips house. So kind of collectively three different food concepts that are all very different. But yeah, we opened and the first month was great. But then Labor Day, after Labor Day on Camino Island, it died down quite a bit. So, then, so like seasonal holiday. Yeah. But then we're looking booms. at the next eight months like, oh, if this is the freaking pace, yeah. they were in, we're in some trouble. And it was <clears throat> painful. Did you know much about Camino? I knew nothing. This was my folly, I suppose, where I trusted everything that they were saying, but I didn't trust my own gut because it felt weird going into it. But I was like, you know what? This person 
has a vision. I'm going to trust their vision, but I didn't quite see it as clearly as they did. And so time went by, we were there for a year and a half and then we decided to close the doors mainly because it just didn't work out. We or I inherently didn't understand the community. I didn't know what their needs were. I didn't know their practices, their habits, not like I do Bellingham. And so learned that lesson quite harshly. Um, and then we had to finish the duration of the lease because we brought in other people to kind of sublet our space for the duration of our term. And then the, the landlord ended up turning them away because they were just difficult to work with, kind of a naysayer. They, they didn't like the people, which was also frustrating because those were, I think, four separate people that were interested in our space, trying to alleviate that financial obligation the of burden. ours. Yeah. yeah, the burden. I'm assuming so, that AB Crepes was basically floating. Oh yeah, it was yeah. it was bankrolling it at that, that point. Yeah. So so it's in a good place, and you're happy, and you go travel. Yeah. You start this thing up, and it's kind of a blessing in disguise, though. You had a huge lesson, and you had this other like we're previous lucky, success. We're, we're lucky right? it didn't put us under. Yeah, pretty amazing. So, but it was a big hit. It was a big hit on the ego too. I mean, at that point, we had experienced nothing but success, and I think that was the other potential real positive. You know, it was kind of a reality check. Like, oh, this is like the the other side yeah. of what can happen when you yeah. take take risks. So I've been a lot more calculated since then and just kind of pondering ideas, poking things and just seeing how far I can go. And then if there's like a hurdle I don't want to jump over, then I just call it there and or I'm going to revisit it later. And because yeah. there's a lot We're of going to table that and revisit it later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's other concepts I have that I mean, at the time they weren't very feasible. I think it, they will be eventually. It just depends on how Bellingham develops, what their needs are. Obviously, your gut early on was like, fuck it, we can do anything. Pretty much, yeah. Then you have this, you have this like complete, like just, just absolute sideswipe to your ego. Right. Ego is important. It's confidence, right? On one side. Certainly. And it's part of who you are, like what makes you unique. But then there's this like puffing of the ego. And this just, it, it brought you to a place that, you know, allowed you to say, ooh, I, I followed, I should have followed my gut. Yeah, I definitely should have followed it. Um, that more or less was the essence of the lesson. You know, I'm not going to listen to other people. If they tell me they have a good idea, other people have a good idea. That's great. You should do it. Ironically, arrogant in and of itself or maybe a big ego. But if I have the idea and I believe in it, I have the vision for it. I can see it from beginning to end. Then I'll pursue it. Assuming it, all the ducks are in a row. And right. You can use the phrase. I like that for your journey. Right. Yes. That's that's yeah. great. Oh, for that is journey. so great for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what Trackside's doing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would have loved to have done something like that. This like. I mean, essentially the micro food hall. So the hodgepodge idea, I think is amazing. And I think it would really work in Bellingham, but that whole container van village is freaking sweet. Brilliant. I've seen that oh, in I Belize. I've seen yeah. that in Austin. I've seen that. So many places. So good. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a culture hub too. I mean, oh, that is so cool. Everything yeah. that's happening down there. I really don't want it to be a temporary thing. Yeah. Something like that would be great. Or even then, you know, take the idea of hodgepodge and kind of like make it a little bit larger and you have five or six different micro food spots mm -hmm. within that you have a tap house and a full bar and you have this essentially location that you can bring your whole family or your whole group of friends and, and services like a food court like it's like a food court but like it's craft nice food. yeah exactly craft food yeah you know it's not like you're gonna be like oh you want burger king or wendy's yeah or, yeah craft food crap food it's just not viable right now because i don't i didn't have the capital because hodgepodge was kind of a burden for a while yeah but then coming out of that and then COVID happened and so you know. tell me about that time period is, is the other side bagel baby even like thought about or is it like is this you're it like was, oh shit COVID hit tell oh, me about the, this the other side bagel baby had not even been conceived yet yeah how did ab do during uh during COVID? i would say okay which for COVID means really good well. yeah yeah but we pivoted hard great word um, by the way yeah. yeah 
so my my whole a lot of my family they're in the medical industry and you know they were talking about this whole covid thing and what what is that back in like january yeah. and my dad was like you need to prepare for this i had talked about it we had a little bit of a plan and then it started to really blow up into something bigger but we fortunately had that service window so we just shut down the interior operated solely out of the service window which we also used it as an opportunity to just renovate the inside which we didn't change a lot but we did the flooring we painted the interior we updated some of the stuff in the bathrooms you know added certain equipment here and there um surface level things it's like on the business stuff versus like yeah. in the business yes yeah. yeah working on it exactly at the time we only had viking foods but then we adopted postmates uber eats doordash grubhub and that also helped quite a bit i there do was... i do have a quick story when i fell off my mountain bike 20 feet 20 feet went to the hospital was that was there late into the night did not break anything but was pretty jacked up mm -hmm. i went i need to order food and i got three two or three crepes oh really oh yeah <laughs> i got like two savory a sweet i was a little drugged up and i just ate myself to sleep and it was great so thank you yeah you're that. very welcome. yeah thank you for you're feeding me yeah. yeah yeah post injury think of crepes <sighs> yeah think, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean other it's times too yeah yeah, right? yeah like at the bottom of the rock shop yeah. on sst up at galbraith yes. put a like or like in the hospital as you're entering the er yeah Great. yeah yeah are you like this you, is your time are you pretty jacked up right now yeah, <laughs> yeah. you could probably use a like be jacked up on food yeah no, no <laughs> yeah. crepes yeah. yeah like this okay so COVID hits you're doing okay which is good coincidentally like there was just circumstance as well at the beginning of that we had by happenstance we had three or four people leave like a month before covid became a thing and employees so we, uh yes yeah. employees so we brought on three or four people and they were still in the training phase uh then covid blew up and so we kind of just let those people go kept our core staff that we had already had because our hours were reduced quite a bit we weren't doing late night stuff that we were just open until 10 um during the like peak of covid and so that was helpful we were able to mostly employ everybody for the duration of covid um yeah. which was huge and a lot of our staff too they they didn't even collect the those weekly checks and all of that it was just working something to be proud of it was neat yeah seriously um, like that is something to be really proud of to focus on when times are good making sure that people are paid well making sure there's reserves making sure the business is really healthy so knowing that at some point yeah. your professor is going to be right about something right the naysayers are going to be like oh i told you so you're like hey, hey but this is like the cycle this is part of this like right ebb and flow so yeah kudos to you for that that's that's a huge deal tell me about other side you like bagels that's where it started it did not start there okay uh so my business partner with other side is nate gray mm -hmm. and he's the bona fide east coaster in the group he's from philadelphia and i mean for years he had discussed just what east coast bagel culture was like yeah. and you walk in you get a bagel you get a coffee and you're out within like minutes is it a bagel or a bagel what do they i call say them? bagel because i would say i'm northwest yeah you know, that's how we would say it. B -A -Y -G bagel. Your ba I, I don't think there's as much I don't know if rules is the right word, but you know, there's not a strict way to say bagel as much as there is schmear. Yeah, sure. Or schmear. schmear. Yeah. Can I get a bagel? Schmear. schmear. Yeah. Or how to cook them. Bagels? Yeah. A good bagel you don't toast. I thought you I thought you boil them. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Remember we had this conversation well, about yeah. If a if a bagel isn't boiled, it's not a bagel. What is it? A piece of bread? Bread that was so a purist is gonna say that, oh, that it's yes. a piece of bread. And then but there's a I mean, growing number of bagel shops are steaming and baking their bagels so it's which, acceptable i'm not here to shit on them everybody has their own way they have their models that's great we're doing the boil method because yeah. it's authentic we wanted to try and be as pure as possible because i've learned this after the fact of opening too there are a lot of opinions about bagels yeah but there's also a growing demographic of people who have moved here from the east coast 
whether it's New York, down to Florida, or there's just a lot of people coming in from everywhere where bagels are a staple. And they have an opinion. And yeah. I think that yeah. one thing that can unify all bagel eaters is that they should have a hole in the middle. Certainly. Yeah. I think that maybe like could start there. Some of ours every now and then have like a pretty, pretty tight hole. Yeah. So, but. <laughs> all right. For all you out there listening, this is about bagels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So tell me about boiling bagels versus steaming bagels. Uh, I mean, it's just a different process uh, to get that water step in there. Apparently. But they taste, would you say? No, they produce a very different product. Okay. Just making yes, sure. Yeah. So steam, are, are, are you saying it, this on record or off record? I think everybody who is a bagel enthusiast would agree. Okay. And people who just make bagels passively would probably agree as well. Even though I think making bagels passively and steaming them is a lot more challenging that it's really only easy on a commercial level. And, um, and like passive bagel making is a but, subreddit, right? It's like a, like a, like a, is, like a yeah, community. I'm very active yeah. on that. You should, you should check it out. Steaming it basically makes more of like a sandwich. Uh, it's mm. not as chewy. It's a lot softer to bite through. And then boiling is crunchier on the outside. You get that sound when you tear it open. Uh, it's great for bagel and schmear, more traditional style food. We proof ours a little bit more and we boil it. So it's kind of, we're trying to achieve the the magical little balance where it's still chewy, your classic bagel, but it's still great for sandwiches because mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the base of our whole concept where we want it to be sandwich focused. Yeah. We want to really hammer the breakfast sandwich scene. And they are so good. By the way. I'm very, well, I just love sandwiches. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're trying to just achieve top-notch sandwich yeah the space north state street you're right on, under that all of that new multifamily, which is probably part of your strategy because it's a lot of student housing up there right yeah, they, yeah. it's marketed as student housing yeah. so a majority of the people living up there are all students so you're looking for a space you have this concept pre perfecting the crunch and the chewiness right i mean you probably look for a little while right but you're we, more experienced than when you were looking for ab creeps. we were kind of putting yeah. out feelers i yeah. mean nate and i had a a few different ideas and i mean our whole regiment was we'd go play pickleball or go ride bikes and then have a beer or two and just talk shop whether about a variety of concepts and we had been kind of stewing and ruminating on this bagel concept for six months to a year but then the stateside place they reached out to the crepe shop and said hey you're in the restaurant industry if you happen to have a concept or if you have the interest to move you know we have a space that you might be interested in we'd love hmm. to show it to you so i said nate let's go check out the space because never turned down at least just learning about an opportunity so we went and checked it out and spoke with the people managing the project and the space and they seemed really friendly they were willing to work with us and so then we pitched the idea to them and they loved it and again very friendly in the whole process and it kind of just i mean the same idea where the ducks were in a row and there are always going to be hurdles, but there was never a hurdle that we approached that we weren't willing to figure out a way to jump over. Cause you believed in it. Yeah. Well, and this was our concept yeah. and we knew Bellingham. We knew that section of downtown. We know our people and yeah, we believed in it. We, we knew we could make it work, which granted we're coming up on three months. So I wouldn't quite say we've made it work yet. We've opened but yeah. when we hit five years, Yeah. but now if we, if we hit a year, I'll be a lot more confident. Yeah. So how did you meet Nate? By the way, he's one of those late night regulars at the crepe shop. Late night means uh, he would get done at Glow yeah. with the five dollar mystery drinks. Yeah, and then he would come. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember those? No, I wasn't big at, at Glow. I was more of a rumors yeah. guy. Yeah, so yeah. Well, it was like all good places. He would come in and he was very friendly, and we would chat. And then we went to April Brews Day. It was one of the first ones that they had, and we call April Brews Day our anniversary because. I got detached from my group of friends and he got detached from his and we ended up just hanging out the whole time and we drank a whole bunch of beer 
And then is it Cap Hansen's right across the street uh, oh, yeah. or nearby where they oh, do close. the yeah. Peruvian bear fuckers? Yeah, it's a hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah, he, yeah. he had yeah. been trying to get a job. And then he bought me a Peruvian bear fucker. And after drinking, I said, you're hired, which was questionable hiring yeah. practices yeah. again. But a good hire. Turned out to be a good hire, yeah. uh, but a better friend. Quick side note for those of our audience, most people in Bellion probably know what a Peruvian bear fucker is. You go into Cap Hansen's right next to where the Golden Foot Massage used to be. And if you don't know where that is... It's, that's okay. That's okay. The <laughs> <laughs> whole point is, yeah. what is a Peruvian bear fucker? What's uh, the experience like? Eye-opening. Eye <laughs> you, make, you make friends when you drink it, Yeah, obviously. Yeah, um, through pain. Yeah. No, yeah. it's delicious. It's, it's delicious. It tastes like a cream circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's spiced rum. So I think they use Captain Morgan's. And then, is it hams? Yeah. Or is it so. light beer? Yeah. It's, um, and then yeah. a little bit of orange juice. And then, so you drop the shot in the glass and chug it. Chug it. it. Delicious. Yeah. One yeah. and done. In and out. Three minutes. And they'll get you going. And then the next place you should go immediately after that is for a crepe. Yeah. Or a bagel in the morning. Or both. Well, yeah. PBF, then crepes. Then in the morning, you'd go to the bagels. Because you need coffee There's and bagels. sequence to the event. So, okay. This is, I see your master plan. Mm -hmm. You have this night. You have a great time. You become friends. The the concept rolls from there. Um, this, this whole concept that you went into uh, AB Crepes with where you were friends prior, this kind of started to, starts at the same time right? It's like pretty close to the same time. And how was that for you guys keeping, you know, the, the business and your, your friendship for separate? Nene? Yeah. All friendships are unique, but Nate and I's friendship, the, the base of it was just, or has always been, I mean, it's been going outside and playing and drinking beers and chatting and having a good time, but also like we're both very passionate about business and we try and keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in Bellingham and like kind of where things are progressing and developing and just where we think the relevant parts are what's going to be happening in 10 years. And so that takes up a lot of our conversations because we're fascinated with that kind of stuff, whether it's development, the businesses that are coming and going and the choices they make, that kind of stuff. So it was a natural progression to go into business with one another. Um, but also he and I have very, I'd like to think that he and I have very complementing skill sets mm -hmm. where I have the history with the restaurant, restaurant industry. You know, I look a little bit more inward and focused on the immediate details and the process. And he is, you know, pie in the sky. He has the business development and the growth. And mm -hmm. I mean, in the first couple of months, we've both been busy for our own reasons, but we've both done a really good job at focusing on our areas and dividing and conquering and yeah. promoting the space. Kind of staying in your, in your lanes, but stepping over when you need to. Yeah. You know, yeah. A little bit of overlap. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also a mutual respect there. I respect him for what he does and knows. And I think he respects me for the same. For people that, that are listening that have not been to either AB Crepes, which is would be shocking. So if you're listening to this and you have not been, I'm shocked and appalled that you have not been to AB Crepes. <laughs> so you should go. No, but on a, on a more, more lighthearted note, somebody walks into your shop. What experience do you want them to have at AB Crepes and other side? I've preached the same philosophy at both places. But I mean, our goal in customer service is to treat or meet and greet treat people as friends. You know, there's a an element of customer service that I think a lot of places have lost. And that's not necessarily me touting that, but it's just what I've heard where it's dry, a little bit emotionless. So we want to just joke around with people. We want to, I mean, specifically to bagels, we want to be the catalyst that gets you from the morning groggy side of your day to like just being energized and stoked for whatever adventure, whatever day you're going to be having. For bagels as well, like we want you to be stimulated, whether with it, it's the space with all the natural lighting and the plants and the atmosphere, the music, the people greeting you with a smile and they're energetic. That's our that's our whole goal. And same with crepes. I didn't know this at the time, but it is set up for success in the sense that it's a personable experience. You walk in, you have to walk past all the staff. And I mean, I've sat there and watched people a lot and you will be greeted on your way in. You'll be, people will talk to you on your way out. It's 
fantastic. It's meant to be interactive. A lot of places talk about like, we need to make sure they have a good experience, a good experience. It's about the experience. And so we've hammered that at the crepe shop and we're developing that at bagels, just trying to give a good experience. The culture around both crepes and bagels are very different where crepes is, it's an art form. It's slow, it's personable. If people wanna watch, they should be able to. That's why we have it up front. Bagels, I've been, we've made this term bagel culture where people are in a hurry and you order a bagel, you get it out quickly. Yep. Respect their time. Even if they're the only person in the shop, go as quickly as you can. But that's, it's a different experience, but it's still a valuable one. So if somebody walks into either one of these establishments, what do you recommend for a sweet versus a savory crepe at maybe crepes? I'm partial towards yeah. the savory side. One person Chicken can only eat so yeah. much Nutella. Um, well, uh, I don't know. I think I get yeah, a lot of Nutella. If you have a steady regimen of like marshmallows and Nutella and all these other things, you know, good on you. Steady regimen. It's not sustainable yeah. though. For yeah, me. three course Nutella. Um, I usually, well, A, the gluten-free, that's what I yeah. would say. Whatever fancy you have on the savory side of things, like follow your your cravings. But the gluten-free batter yeah. is divine. That is what I got. It is yeah. so good. That's what I've had multiple times. Yeah. Delicious. I, I, I'm not gluten intolerant, but I eat that one every single time because it's delicious. Yeah. I There's something about it. It's just nutty and so good. Uh, for bagels, our bagel bagel is the most popular one. Uh, <laughs> which bagel bagel? It's just, it's an egg, it's bacon. It has a bagel hash brown on there, pepper jack cheese, some sauce. It's delicious. <laughs> it is wonderful. Yeah, and you have really good gluten-free bagels. Yes, yes. yeah, we do, yeah. Um, which is neat. And so that's another thing that sets us apart uh, is we have a four deck modular electric oven, or electric modular oven. The top deck is dedicated gluten-free. We only cook gluten-free items in there. So gluten will never touch that oven. And then the middle two decks are kind of the catch-all. They do. Well, no, they're not. The bottom is the catch-all where we put our jalapeno cheddar bagel or cookies are made in there yeah. because, you know, animal products, that kind of thing. So we keep it separate. And then in the middle, those are our vegan ovens mm -hmm. where for allergen purposes, we keep it quite separated. Um, but we can also respect people's diets because, you know, grease or bacon grease or cheese like collects on the walls and yep. it's up in the, the All air. sorts of things, yeah. But they're delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I've become a huge fan of bagels. I ordered the salmon lox classic and i got the turkey with sprouts and i forgot what the name of it was it was turkey sprouts and oh cascadia aeolia yeah aeola aeoli aeoli it's a, it's a hard aeoli. word aeoli it's, ah, it's a tough one yeah anyway fancy mayonnaise two bagels delicious my wife and i came in we both had breakfast sandwiches on it i think it was the soft opening yeah. and even the gluten-free bagel was not your gluten-free bagel that day no but we, now it is yeah. and it's so good it it's, took us a little bit longer than opening to yeah. perfect that recipe i would say to Something I learned was clear respect for bagels. Yeah. That, oh man, all of us are hand rolled too. So we we make the dough and then we have to let it rise a little bit, which I mean, this is a, it's like brewing beer, but it's with food. You're brewing food because yeah. all the yeast is involved. It's an active live agent. And so you take that, you have to cut into pieces, you hand roll the whole thing. This is all done the day before. And then when it's all pieced out and the, your pucks, uh, you have it proofing and you have to. There's a window where it's either underproofed or overproofed. So you have to time it well. You throw in the cooler to crash it for the night. And then the baker comes in early in the morning to pull it out, let it kind of warm up and start proofing again. And then it has to be boiled. We boil ours in lye water, which is traditional. And you can't underboil it. You can't, can't overboil it. And then you have to pull it out of that. You put seeds on, but the right amount of seeds, not too many, not too little. And then you have to throw in the oven and bake it to perfection. There are so many steps involved in bagels. It's wild. But there's probably a difference between when those things aren't done right. And when you do what you just said, I would agree. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's biased because I, I could taste the difference and notice the difference now when certain steps are messed up on, 
a well-made bagel is something really to be revered. Yeah. It is pretty cool. But it's just, it, I mean, it's literally a 24-hour process to create this one little piece of bread. Yeah. It's amazing. That you down probably in yeah. two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked a little bit about your aspirations, your dreams, your, your food truck hub idea. Brilliant. I love that idea, by the way. What is the what does the future look like for AB Crepes, for other side? What are some what are some things that you want to do as part of your your life? Business. That's a yeah. big question. My business life. life. Sorry, <laughs> business life. Um, What's the meaning of life, Bailey? Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the crepe shop, I would love to have one more location up on campus somewhere or even on Vendors Row just mm -hmm. to have a little bit more of a presence up there um, to maintain that relationship with the students there. We've been talking about having a physical location at the gorge with, the crepe, with the crepe shop, which would be pretty cool. Yep. So if anybody knows who to talk to at the gorge, let me know. I think Dave Matthews, Dave Matthews. Yes. Yeah. Labor day. Yeah. La um, Labor day. Labor Dave, excuse me, but I'm pretty content with uh, the crepe shop. We're in a good spot with bagels. Our whole model was to have two to five locations. We invested a lot of time, money, and energy into having a pretty robust kitchen mm -hmm. uh, for production purposes. And so it doesn't make sense for us just to have that one spot. The next one, it's going to be more or less a commissary motto where we're making all the food and the bagels there and then we'll distribute it to other locations. Um, so ideally, we have a couple more, uh, a lot smaller in theory. And I would be content with that. In an ideal world, I can grow the bagel shop to a point where we can pay a few people like a livable wage and they are achieving what they want to achieve, whether it's, you know, chefing and making recipes and satisfying that desire of theirs, or basically just like giving people a comfortable living. You know, I, I, I think the food industry in Bellingham in general, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also tough. It's constantly churning because you have college kids coming in and out. And I think we're able to thrive as an industry off of that, but there's not a lot of like ability to pay people or a large number of people a livable wage. So my hope is with growth and expansion, we're actually able to create these roles and empower people to stay here because it's really, I mean, you would know housing prices have gone up a little bit and just empower people. Yeah. So, but then, I mean, I have other completely different concepts that if the opportunity arises, I would love to jump on. So I think we'll have to talk about those. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, at some point we'll talk about those, maybe over another glass of whiskey. And yeah. first of all, I appreciate you and what you've Thank what you've you. done for this community. I have a lot of uh, just pride in seeing other people because it's it's hard being young and a young entrepreneur, right? And having to compete with this whole thought of like, well, you're young, you don't know what you don't know. And you're like, well, that's true. But also I have a good idea and I have hard work. And then also all of a sudden people start to see this like, oh, it's working, right? Thank you for, for bringing that to Bellingham and you know, really contributing to that downtown core, which we so desperately need good stuff down there and bring good food to Bellingham. You Thank remember you. what it was like before... We got to Bellingham. It was kind of bleak. There's good restaurants, but there was no competition. I, I mean, I'm not here to speak ill of anyone, but there it was thinner. Yeah. Um, I would say the positive and negative of COVID too was some of the longstanding restaurants, some felt by the wayside, but I mean, it also inspired a lot of new ones to come in. And mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen a whole bunch of new concepts come into play and they're younger entrepreneurs and people who are really driven and passionate about their concept. And I mean, you can taste it, you can yeah. see it in the service and the whole experience. I think in time too, that'll kind of expand and trickle into the whole city. And I, I think the next 10 years are going to be really bright yep. in general, but for Bellingham, especially yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be pretty fun. Yeah. There's a lot of people that really care about Bellingham. Oh yeah. yeah. I think now more than ever too, it's more prevalent. I should say yeah. maybe they've, all been here but there's a lot more activism i think yeah you know myopic view is on downtown and there's a lot of people really trying to make downtown a better place a safer place a cleaner place vibrant yeah uh, but I, I think that's happening at every level 
for the city. Yep. So it's very exciting. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see what you do. I'm Thank obviously you. we'll keep buying bagels, crepes. We, I'm excited to see what you continue to do, what you create in the future. We're, we're big fans. So thank you for joining us on uh, episode one yeah. of season four. This is pre baby. I have sleep right now. I may not have yeah, sleep when relish. you hear this. You <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Cheers, man. Building Bellingham is a community podcast exploring leadership, challenges, failure, and mindset with entrepreneurs right here in Whatcom County, Washington. You can be the first to hear about upcoming guests by subscribing to the Building Bellingham Facebook or Instagram pages, as well as the Building Bellingham YouTube channel. This episode was produced and edited by Tiffany Holden. Our videography is done by Cooper Hansley. Community projects are by Taylor Beal. To learn more about the team behind the podcast and to download our media kit, check out our website at www.livebellinghamnow.com or search Cohen Group NW on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. From the whole Building Bellingham podcast team, thank you for listening.